What's up, everybody? WWE Hall of Famer, The Godfather here, and you're listening to I See Things a Little Differently. Peace. Recording in progress. Welcome to the show, everybody. My name is Soul Chemical. I see things a little differently. A special episode. We have a WWE Hall of Famer in the house. I can see him. He can't see me. I'm still trying to figure out Zoom. You guys know my troubles with that. But welcome, the Godfather on the show. How are you, man? What's up, my brother? Thanks for having me on the show. And don't worry, don't worry, man. I think I see things clearly all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, a, it's an exciting moment for me. Actually, it's funny um, how my manager even got the idea to bring you on. I met you last year when you came to Colorado. And okay. Yeah, you did, a, you did a, a convention for a friend of mine's comic book store. He knows I'm a wrestling guy. And he said, hey, man, we usually don't have anything that you like wrestling, but we're going to have this cool guest come in. You can get an autograph from him. I was like, who is it? He's like, it's a fucking godfather. I was like, no, you don't. Get out of here. <laughs> So I went out there and met you. You couldn't have been nicer. I appreciate everything you did. And and you and you actually had a conversation. And not many people have time to do that. I get it. But the fact that you spent time conversating, it was just a really cool experience. Do you do you get that often where you go? Like, do people really have the, the same experience? Like, hey, he talked to me for this long, and he's just a super cool guy. It's so funny. I was going through old Instagram uh, things that people tagged me in, and there's so many pictures of people with me, and they're saying, Hey, dude, this guy's even cooler in person. And you know what? I met this guy, and he's really cool. And, man, that means the world to me, bro, because uh, I'm not, I used to be a bad guy, but I'm not a bad guy anymore. And to know that you're appreciated like that, bro, it means the world to me. I'm leaving for Detroit. And I'm like every weekend, I do these conventions and these signings, and uh, just about every weekend. And I'm in Detroit this weekend, and I, I can't wait, man. And, and when the time comes that I don't have fun, are, it's not enjoyable for me anymore. I'll stop doing it because I mean I'm not I'm not I don't have Undertaker money, but I'm doing okay. <laughs> so I don't have to do it, but uh, I, I really brought I enjoy doing it because it's just it's fun to me. It's fun to me. That is awesome. So on this show, we have a Monday show, a Wednesday show. The Monday show is about wrestling, and that's why we have you on. I, I'm gonna get to that later. But you were in the industry for so long that I find myself leaving. As uh, this show is growing, as my other stuff is growing, I would love to know, how did you get into the strip club industry? How did I get into the strip club industry? Yeah. Um, I just got done playing football at the University of Nevada Arena. A lot of people don't know, and I'm not as much as a cowboy as I used to be, but I'm old country music, chewing tobacco, getting tattoos, riding Harley Davidson's. I'm that guy. And uh, not as much as I used to be, but I was that guy at that time. And so uh, I, uh, the rodeo, I was following the NFR rodeo. It was always in Oklahoma City. And they were having it in Vegas one year. And I lived in Sunnyvale, California, where I was, I was uh, you know, that's where I was born, which is called Silicon Valley now. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go out there. And uh, so I, I jumped in. I had a 55 Ford pickup that was all cherried out. And I drove it to, to Vegas. I, I stayed in a hotel. I asked them where to go. They sent me to this club that it was like $25 all you could drink. And uh, one of the guys that the owner of the club was like, hey, you don't remember me, but I was at Reno one time, and this happened and that happened. I'm not going to get into that. It's a story itself. 
And he goes, you're the bear, right? And I'm like, I'm the bear. He goes, well, listen, my dad owns a strip club out here in Vegas, and the guys are making three, $400 a day. And I'm like, I mean, this is 1982. And I'm like, how much? People weren't making that a week. And so I went home and packed up and moved to Vegas, man. And like within the week, I was working in a strip club. I was a bouncer for about one or two weeks. And then I'm uh, the, the, the bartenders got fired. They made me a bartender. From after that time, I was either a bartender, a manager, or one of the owners. Wow. See, how I got into it was crazy, too. I was living in Atlanta, and I lived next door to a stripper. I didn't know she was a stripper. You know, and one day she asked me for a ride to work. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, you know. I just, we, we, we casually say hi to each other. All of a sudden, she drive, she's like, she's giving me directions. And she says, hey, you should come in sometime. I'm like, nah, it's not my thing. And then she kind of, she puts, hey, no, I'm not telling you to come in to have fun. I think you'll make a good bouncer. And I was uh, like, oh, so I kind of went in. And I'm like, I'll, I won't lie. My first couple weeks were terrifying because, like, the rules the rules were so weird. One guy said, hey, man, these are our women. No one could touch them. And we're beating people up. I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> but no, I, I loved it. It got me through school. But as I'm transitioning out of school, I find myself leaving it. And I was just always curious about how you got into it because I know for a while you owned your own club. So. I was one of the owners of Cheetahs here in Las Vegas. Uh, there was three owners, and we sold it uh, to, uh, just about four years ago. We sold the club. Do you and miss it at all? It's called something else, and it's it's totally new. When I had it, it was alcohol and topless. Now it's totally nude with no alcohol, and I don't think they're doing too well. But, yeah, I, I am completely out of the business of I'm done. I, I, I woke up this morning. I you probably couldn't pay me to go to a strip club. I've been, I've been to so many strip clubs mm. all my life so for so many years, bro. I've been to just about every, me and Undertaker probably been through to every strip club in the United States. <laughs> yeah, that, that industry does wear on you that way. I can, I can see that. I can definitely see that. So before we get to wrestling, I have another question because you are in the cannabis field. I, know you, I, do, I do know you smoke. Do you actually own any dispensaries or anything like that uh no i do not own any dispensaries i do have my own cannabis line through dr green thumbs which is be real from cypress hill he owns eight dispensaries in california called dr green thumbs uh, i have my own insane godfather line cannabis line strain uh, through them and um, very shortly i'm going to have my own pre-rolls some candy bars and some other stuff here in Vegas. And so that's the cannabis side. <laughs> oh, nice. That's great. That is. And, and, and before we went on air, you were saying how it kind of helps you mellow out. Like, when did you find that out? Or or were you just, is it just something as you got older you realized? I was Papa Shango, 27 years old, taking every pill you like it is, Percocets, Percodans, Somas, Halcyons, I mean, the list goes on, and drinking a bottle of Jack a day. Okay, that was cool, but I, would, I wouldn't smoke any weed. No, I ain't doing that. I said, I ain't doing that hippie shit. <laughs> and then, uh, I was going through a really ugly divorce, this Papa Shango, and uh, a really good friend of mine named Big Word, God rest his soul, is not with us anymore. He got me to try it for the first time at 27 years old. And then after I smoked, I'm like, you know what? Man, my shoulder don't hurt like it used to hurt. I'm like, you know what, bro? 
my knees feel better. And I'm like, let's go to the gym. And I went to the gym and I got the best pump I ever had. And then we went eight, man. And I'm telling you, we had like Jack in the Box. It was like the best hamburger I ever had in my <laughs> motherfucking life. You know? And slowly it got me off of the pills. Do I still drink? Yeah. But I'm, you know, I'm getting ready to have knee surgery. So I, I don't know if I can stick to this. But in 20 years, man, I bet you 20 years since I've taken a pain pill, a muscle relaxer, anything. I usually rely on cannabis, CBD, hemp, everything that's associated with that plant for my health. Unfortunately, I'm going to have knee repair really soon, and I'll probably have to get on something. But I, I'll be on it. I'm sure they're going to put me on some type of pain medicine. And, uh, but I'll get off of it as soon as I can because that stuff's not. I've seen too many brothers die from that stuff. Yeah, I've I've had a few surgeries myself, and I actually I actually don't use anything. Um, I I have a family of addiction, and I just know that stuff is easily be relied on. So I took the first time I ever took a freaking uh, uh, I can't remember what they, what was it called that they put Percocet. They put me on Percocet when I had my first yes, surgery. Sir. And I felt I felt that. And I said, oh, I'm never getting on this again. And I've had a couple more surgeries since. And I, it's painful, but I take nothing. So I feel you on that for sure. I, uh, I'm i going to probably, I'm going to find out here next week or so. But I think I total re only part of my body that's really selling my age is my knees. And it's just, I beat my knees up from basketball, football, wrestling, and Motor, people don't know this, but I used to race dirt bikes in the desert, not motocross, but like Baja type of racing where you're going through the desert 100 miles an hour. And I beat my knees up pretty bad. So I I don't I don't know. I have a feeling. I don't know if I can go through it without it, but I'll try. You know, I'll try. I'm with you on there. So so now my fans will kill me if I don't get to wrestling. But I'm not going to get to the traditional stuff because we saw the Steve Austin podcast. That was freaking awesome. You guys went through a lot of things there. I do have a question for you. Do you still watch the product at all? No. Okay. Why is that? You just, you just, not at all. What is there for a reason? Or just kind of say, Hey, I'm just doing my Um, thing. I have respect for the business. I'm glad that there's places like impact and AEW for the guys to go and make more money. Um, have nothing to do with the business. The business has made me money. The business has made me lifelong friends, but I've moved on. Mm. And uh, I don't watch much TV as it is, but I, no, I don't watch any wrestling. Nothing against the product at all. I just watch very little TV, and it's not going to be three hours of wrestling where they've had four matches, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but right. nothing about it. I, 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 like I said, I'm just glad that the guys have other places to go and avenues to make money. No, it makes sense. So um, I've heard your other interviews, so I, I, I know what what your favorite part of your career was, but did you ever have a favorite match you were involved in yourself? No. Really? I, I swear, I ask other wrestlers this question, and then when I ask them, they go, boom, that's the way that they'll get it. I don't see how you could say, when you've had hundreds and hundreds of matches, how you can pick just one. What I tell people is, you'd be better off asking me, what was your best match against Bret Hart? Mm. What was your best match against Ultimate Warrior? What was your best match against Undertaker? And was it as Papi Shango, Godfather, Goodfather, Right to Sit? I mean, there's there's so many. You'd have to ask me what was my best match against that person. Interesting. That's a good. That's actually a really good answer. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, lied. I can make up some shit and say, oh, the King of the Ring, 
96 Taylor Rain with me and John Michaels did a Broadway. I mean, I can say that type of shit, but you know, bro, it's just there's too many matches that I, I I love working with. There wasn't no one person I love working with. People like working with me, you know, especially as a Godfather. Maybe not as the other ones, but as Godfather. Oh sure, love working with me. <laughs> I bet they did. So Godfather I, didn't hurt nobody. <laughs> no, Godfather just had fun. It was a party. Yeah. So I don't know if you've even thought about this. You seem you, you seem pretty down to earth. But do you did you did you when you were in the Nation of Domination when the Rock took over as leader and you guys kind of morphed into who you become were become D'Lo do the head nodding thing. You became the Godfather. Did you guys understand the impact even before then? Did you understand the impact that the Nation of Domination would ever have? Because it's had no. a big, pretty big impact. We're okay. Not at all. We were just doing our job the best we could. Um, in touch with all those guys. When I see Rockies, but he's happy to see me. Talk to Ron Simmons all the time. I did a signing last week in North Carolina with D'Lo. I see Mark Henry three weeks ago. Um, just we all tried to help each other. We all, but we were all just doing no, no idea that it was going to have the impact that it did for us. It was just, it was just what we were, you know, we're. It was our, our, our gimmick at the time, or our, our angle. But I, I had no idea that it would be as big. And I had no idea that The Rock would become as big as he did. So when you first got put in the nation, how did that happen? I don't think I've ever heard that story before. Because <laughs> it started off with Farouk and Crush, and then somehow you got thrown in there. But I don't remember when that happened exactly. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to TV, right? I'm going to TV, and I'm supposed to be Papa Shango. Now, I've got good shape, and they have a new outfit. I'm going to be Papa Shango, but a more serious. And I'm not going to be putting spells on people, and people are going to be throwing up. But uh, it's going to be a little bit more serious and more wrestling. And so I show up to TV, new outfit, new everything, get dressed. It's a secret. Nobody knows. So it's a big secret. So they shuffle me in. They paint Jerry Lawler, paints my face up. Jerry Lawler is a hell of an artist paints my face up, they take some pictures, I got my new outfit on, I'm taking the pictures, and they say, Vince wants to see you. I'm like, all right. I'm like, well, let me get this off. They say, no, Vince wants to see you right now. So I go into his office, it's Papa Shango. And Vince goes, Charles, change your plans. He goes, we're going to call you Common Gustavo. We're going to put you in Nation of Domination. You and Farouk are going to wrestle Undertaker in a handicap match, and you're going to go over and you know what I said? What? Do I still get paid to say? <laughs> I swear to God, I swear that's what I said. He goes, yes, you do, sir. And I'm like, well, then, you got something for me to wear? He goes, yes, we do. He goes, we had this thing that we're going to do something more, but just wear this tonight. And I'm like, okay. And then I went to Ron Simmons, and I'm like, Ron, what's going on? You know anything that's going on? And Ron's like, no, nah, nah, dude. He goes, man, I don't know what's going on. He goes, man, it's all news to me. He goes, I'm the last, you know, I'm, I'm the last motherfucker. <laughs> so, uh, the next weekend, uh, Vince called us into the next TV taping. Vince called us to the office and he said, you know who Dwayne uh, Johnson is? And I didn't know who he was. And Ron did. And he goes, well, listen, he goes, I'm going to put him in the nation. And he goes, and once I get people to hate this kid, when I turn him, He's going to be the biggest thing wrestling's ever saw. Wow. That's what he told me and Ron. He goes, this is what I need from you two guys. 
know, then he kind of laid it out. Uh, they threw Ahmed Johnson in on us at one point. That wasn't part of the, the plan. But everything else from Mark Henry to Owen to everything, um, you know, it was all planned out. Ahmed was kind of thrown in there, and that didn't work out at all. Yeah, that, that did seem pretty weird with Ahmed, him feuding with the nation for so long, then joining you guys. And at that point in time, I feel like you guys were really finding your stride anyway. I think Owen helped, though. I think Owen was really dope in there, to be honest with you. I, I love seeing <laughs> Owen in there. Uh- <laughs> I asked, and I love Owen. Owen, Owen, God rest his soul. I love him to death. And I asked Dilo last week, I'm like, Dilo, has anybody ever explained to you why Owen was put in the nation? And this is what Dilo's answer was. He calls me Big Perm. He goes, you know what, Big Perm? He goes, we all like Owen so much, I don't think nobody gave a shit. And I'm like, well, there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, nobody, it was, it was just one day he was, okay, Owen's in the nation, right? All right. If it was somebody else, we would have been like, no, nah, man, no, he ain't putting him in the nation. Mm, interesting. But if Ron okayed it, it's okay. Ron's the, Ron's the final say. Nice. Okay, I see. It makes sense. So, question for: Did you ever? And you, you, I've heard you say this before. And that line, last line was it seemed like you were willing to go with the flow. But there, as you look back, now that you're done with the wrestling, your wrestling career, was there anything that you didn't do that you wanted to do, like someone that you wanted to work with but you didn't get a chance to at the time? No, <laughs> no. People are like, you should have been the champ, and you should have, you should have brought us it. Life is the way it is. There can only be so many Stone Colds. There can mm. only be so many Undertakers. There can only be so many Rocks. Even though there are people with talent to have those positions, there can only be so many of those. I did the best at the position that I was in. I worked hard as I could to keep that position and do it well. Uh, all of everything besides The Godfather was the WWE or F's idea. The Godfather was had, it was all me and my wife's idea. The WWE, besides pushing it, had nothing to do with it creatively. They actually, I was never scripted besides staying a town or an opponent. Um, I was allowed free to say and do whatever I wanted to say. We knew how much time we had and who was going over. Other than that, they let me do my thing. And if I was wrestling you, and I came to the point where I would offer you the girls, you had no idea what I was going to say to you. And I, and I keep it a little personal just between me and you. And uh, I, you'd have no idea. You knew when I said this, the match was going to start. But what I said before that, you know, it was all up to me. And people were always like, oh, shit, what's he going to say today? <laughs> <laughs> no. Ever, ever. So what, when the gen- I remember, I actually, I don't know why I remember this, but I remember when The Rock first called you The Godfather. And uh, and I remember that because it was so random. I was like, why is he the Godfather? I said, at that point, I was like, all right, he's the man of many gimmicks. So whatever, right? We're moving past it. But I remember you guys were hot at the time. I think it was feuding with DX. So when you when you decided to make this transformation, you just said Junior White came up with everything. Was it outside of the RTC stuff? I know later on there was some pushback from TV, since networks. But at the beginning, did Vince or anyone ever come to you and say, Ugh, we don't want that. We don't, we don't want that. What, Godfather? Yeah, at the, at, at the very beginning, as you're making the transformation, did they ever say, hey, <laughs> we'll know? Oh, hell no. They wanted more. Really? No. I mean, literally, I, I mean, I literally started, me and Bradshaw are wrestling against each other. I'm, I, I mean, 
now at this time, The Rock has become The Rock. He's still in the nation, but he's D'Lo's walking to him, or Mark Henry's walking with him to the ring. We're not all together no more. And D'Lo and Mark are kind of tagging up, and I was doing nothing. My contract was coming up. How I actually dressed is I wore these black hats. I wore a black vest, black pants, and black boots, and, and, and silver everywhere. I started growing my hair because I wasn't wrestling. Me and D'Lo were just taking the, the tombstones or the rock bottom. We were taking people's finishes for him at the end of the match. That's all we were doing. And so I was letting my hair grow. My hair grows fast, right? So I started, Ron's like, man, you need to braid that shit up, man. Man, it look cool. Braid it up. <laughs> so I braided I had my hair braided, and it's growing fast. And people just started saying, what's up, pimp? And people started saying I look like wow. a pimp. So me and my wife went with that idea. So I'm wrestling John Bradshaw, Blayfield, and we're on popcorn match, which is the sixth match. It's after intermission. Nobody really cares about it. It's just to get people back to their seats. We're going 10, 12 minutes. People are sitting on their hands. No reaction. And we're beating the hell out of each other. No reaction whatsoever. So one day I go, John, let's try something. And so we go out there, and I just, I'm dressed basically how I was dressed, how I came to the building. I said, I'm just going to come out and say that I'm a pimp. And people kind of chuckled. Okay? I said, but what you don't know, and I'd go through this whole spiel, and the people would get with it, and I would offer John the girls. I had no girls. I'd say, in the back, in the limo, right now, I got five of the craziest hoes you have, you know, that kind of shit. Right. So John would take, the people would start saying, take the hoes, take the hoes. The whole place is going, take the hoes. And I'm like, they're telling you what to do, bro. So he would take the girls, and then I would turn on the people, start saying, you dumb redneck, just another fool. I took your money, and they'd start booing me. John would turn around, slide in the ring, hit me with the clothesline, one, two, three. I would jump up, say, man, pimping ain't easy. <laughs> and the place, would, the place would pop. So we went from beating ourselves to death for 12 minutes, beating the hell out of each other, to not doing anything and having a reaction the whole time, even to the finish where we got a double pop at the end. Even after I lost, I got a pop. Mm. And we did that two days, and then we went to TV, and Vince came to me, and he's like, Charles, you think you can find some girls? I hear we might think this might have some legs to it. And so me and Undertaker, we went to uh, the local strip club. We got some girls. We brought them back. Uh, we put them on TV. And from the very end, I was not scripted. They just kind of said, do your thing, man. And I went out there and did my thing. And uh, when I came back, I got like this standing ovation from the office. And they're just like, I think we have something here. And then the next week, they got the girls, and they took all that over, man. And then uh, they would get the girls from strip clubs. And at the end, the strip club girls were acting so crazy and wild that they were part of because of me. <laughs> but, uh, that they start getting actresses, and the actresses were worse than the strip club girls, man. So, believe me, it was a fun time. It was a fun time. And also, the the legacy of the the ladies is deeper because I believe it's one or two of the ladies became roster, uh, uh, main women roster uh, wrestlers, right? Uh, Lita was one of my hopes. And wasn't um, uh, Victoria? Victoria was one of my hopes. I put Victoria through a table before she was even a wrestler. Jeez. So like that that had some legs, that had some some serious legs to it. The, there's a lot of girls. I mean, it just goes. I mean, there's a lot of girls that beat wrestlers. 
I don't know. I have to think some more. But there was girls that the, the Budweiser girls, twins, the blondes back in the day. They were they were my hoes in L.A. They got noticed off of being my hoes at WrestleMania. I did not know that. Oh, we had a bunch of video. Oh, yeah, man, my hoes did well. <laughs> they really well. I didn't know that because the WrestleMania in L.A. was the one that Ice T wrapped you and D'Lo to the ring, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. Did you help him with that song, or was that something Ice T did all on his own? Um, Ice T, I didn't know anything about it. When I found out about it, I was with Snoop Dogg, and he was like, "Hey, bro, you got to check out." He was doing Stone Cold or somebody's music, and he's like, "They asked me to do this," and they go, um, "You should get this new cat I got named Exhibit." He goes, "You should get him to do it." And then when I went to Vince about it, Vince is like, "Oh no, we got the." Temp- the main pimp, we got uh, Ice T. What's his name? Ice. Yeah, Ice T. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Ice. There's so many Ices. Ice Cube, Ice T. But that, I mean, so they said we got him, and now that was it. And I had no input in the song. I I didn't meet him till that day at WrestleMania. Wow. So last last question for you. I know you said you're you're done with the business. I, I've always been curious about this because everyone feels different about it. You're a, you've done a lot of things in your career, whether you were a part of the main event at WrestleMania 8 when you ran in late and got beat up by Ultimate Warrior and Hogan. You're the Final Four in 1996 with Sean Diesel and Bulldog. You're a former Intercontinental Champion. Whenever, because you were tag a... Tag Team Champion. I was Tag Team Champion, too. Were you? No, you... What were you? Me and Bull beat uh, the Hardy Boys. We had the Tag Team belts that's right you did part rtc you're right i'm sorry i tried to jip you i forgot about that run because it was so brief like rtc came and just left so fast but you're right you guys you guys did have gold uh, did, did, did having a title mean something because to me the godfather was always a title onto itself you didn't actually need a championship you you were special see, on your the, own when they put the belts on me, the belt didn't mean anything. I had the hose. And the belt was just something that the girls carried. They just wanted to legitimize me some a little bit. Mm. That was it. Because the belt meant nothing. The belt, and then, you know, unfortunately, they were going to drop it to Owen that night. That uh, he, he that accident happened. But then they dropped it shortly after to Jeff Jarrett. Because it didn't mean anything on me. I didn't even want it. Mm. I had my hose. I didn't need no belt. <laughs> Would you rather have a belt or hose? Right, right. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I, I appreciate you have coming on the show. That's our time. Do you want to plug your stuff one more time before you go? Um, if you're in L.A., you can only get my, my cannabis strain in L.A. It's called Insane Godfather. It's all, at all the Dr. Green Thumb dispensaries, along with some others. But everybody follow me on Instagram. I'm the Godfather, all one word, the Godfather. And check me out, man. I'm always doing some stupid things, man. <laughs> Oh, I appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you so much. This was fun. And um, I will talk to you down the road, brother. You got it, man. Stay safe. Stay healthy, my brother. Be uh, be safe. We're out. Peace. Recording stopped.